who's the influencers in your life? When, when you look back at the influencers, those people that influenced you the most, who are they? Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about that this week and the people that have influenced me over the years. It, it, I can remember Debbie Cooper. De- Debbie Cooper was my first and second grade, may, maybe even kindergarten Sunday school teacher. Uh, Josh, she was a teenager. You know, I, I, you know, she seemed like she was real old to a first and second grader, but she was just a teenager. She, she was the age of my older brother, and she was my Sunday school teacher when I was a little guy. And um, I know some of you are gasping for breath thinking about teaching me in a Sunday school class as a little guy, but, but I can remember her uh, pretty vividly, and I can remember in that Sunday school class beginning to imagine that God loved me. <laughs> Uh, you know, folks, that's a foundational thing, by the way. You, you understand that? That, that there, there is a foundational truth that, that as we come to God, we come with this profound understanding and belief that God truly sees us and loves us and cares for us. I'm convinced of this, that, that, that if we can never grasp that concept, that God really, and it's not just lip service, but God really loves us, if we can't grasp that foundational truth, it's very difficult to grow into a loving relationship with Him. But, but early on, Debbie Cooper showed me that God loved me. I remember other Sunday school teachers I had. Uh, my, my, my third grade Sunday school teacher, and I've shared this before, was Rosie McKinney, who was also my third grade teacher. Six days of Paul. <laughs> Last I talked to her son, Rosie's still alive. I think she's 93 or 94. What a good, dynamic lady. A lady that was the same. And see, I got to see this firsthand. She was the same in her school class as her Sunday school class. You teachers, I don't envy you now. It's a lot harder now, isn't it? You know, it's a lot harder to be true to your witness in those kind of settings. You know, when I was a youngster, (laughs) a long time ago, And it's getting longer and longer. When I was a kid, you know, they prayed in our classes. And and I can remember the Gideons coming and giving us all Bibles in Mr. Fowler's fifth grade class. I don't think they do that anymore, do they? I remember Rosie McKinney. I remember Max Kinder and Henry Ott. Henry and Max were the preteen. Uh, they called us junior boys then. They changed it to preteen because junior boys is just too threatening. And, and, and Henry was teach, taught us first, and Henry would take us fishing, and Henry would take us on hikes, and, and Henry was low-key. I, I can remember in that junior boys class, us running around the table, <laughs> and Henry going, boys, boys, boys. They just loved us. And, and he was there for us. And, and then we switched to Max Kinder. And Max didn't tolerate quite as much. And yet, even in his discipline, even in the switch, I still understood. Not that kind of switch, Bob. <laughs> in the change. 
Our Sunday schools weren't that radical. I understood that God loved me. I, I think about these influencers in my life. And, and, and you know what? I, as I started writing this down and preparing, you know what I, I noticed? What were they all? Sunday school teachers. Some of the primary, now they're not the only influencers in my life, but some of the most significant influencers in my life were Sunday school teachers. Thank you, Sunday school teachers. Thank you, Gene. Thank you for the years. Oh, yeah, give them a hand. All you guys that have, have committed and dedicated yourself to kids during the Sunday school hour, you're making a difference. You, you may not see it from day to day. As a matter of fact, you probably won't. Uh, but over the years, you're making a difference. And, and if you don't have your kids, if you're not in Sunday school, I'm telling you, you're missing out. You're missing out on something dynamic and powerful. Josh, tell me, does it help? Does it help? I mean, you're, you're, you've got youth. It helps to have that extra hour of Sunday school. Thank you, teachers. But as I thought about these teachers and these people that have influenced me, and not only those folks, but other people, what struck me is how ordinary they were. <laughs> None of these folks were Bible scholars. I mean, they, they knew the Bible, but you know, they weren't seminary trained. Most of them, to be honest, except for Rosie, weren't, weren't trained. And I didn't call her Rosie when I was in third grade. Mrs. McKinney. Weren't even educators. They were just ordinary people that, that God tapped on their shoulder and they said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll teach those junior boys. Max Kinder was a farmer and, and worked in a factory. Henry was a factory worker, a blue-collar guy. They were just ordinary people that, that God used. God can use ordinary people in extraordinary ways when he sits on the thrones of their lives. You know, when God calls you and you say, okay, God, I'm going to make you number one. You want to live an extraordinary life? You want to live a life that makes a difference not only in this generation, but the next generation and the next generation? Can I tell you that God can use an ordinary person that just says, okay, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And we see this throughout the scripture and, and, and we've been working through the book of Matthew and we've been working through Matthew 2 and Matthew 3 and, and, and now we're in Matthew 4 actually Matthew 3 and Matthew 4 is what we've been working through and next week we're going to start the Beatitudes and I'm so excited about working through the Beatitudes with you as Jesus begins his ministry with a, a love song to us a song of blessing and we've, in the last few weeks, we've looked at temptation and, and Jesus comes from the wilderness. We talked about how last week the children of Israel failed to keep God number one. They, they left the wilderness and failed. That, they, that son of God failed. But, but this son of God was going to leave the wilderness and God was going to remain on the throne of his life for the entirety of his life. In fact, God would stand on the throne of his life through the Garden of Gethsemane and through the cross and through the resurrection. He would not fail in the mission. 
And Jesus comes out of the wilderness in Matthew 4, beginning in verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land and shadow of death upon them a light dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven. Luke uses the kingdom of John, kingdom of God, sorry. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus was going through all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all who were ill, those who were suffering various diseases and pains, demonacs, demonot, I can't say it, somebody say it for me. We'll take a vote. You guys know what I'm talking about. Epileptics, paralytics, and healed them. Large crowds followed him with, from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. And that is why pastor never reads more than 10 verses at a time. All these people that, that Jesus are calling into his kingdom are ordinary. Now, now, now we see the fishermen here, but, 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 but we'll also see Matthew, you know, the tax collector. You know, none of these people, if you were to pick a lineup of those who would start a religious movement, a spiritual movement, a movement that would overthrow the kingdom of Rome, none of these people were, would be on the top of your list. You know, they were, they were in a lot of ways, nobodies. Ordinary. You know, they're not extremely gifted. As a matter of fact, later on in the story in the book of Acts, they talk about these disciples of Jesus being ordinary, unlearned men. And yet they're presenting this gospel in this compelling manner, and they're amazed at these guys. But all they note about them is, but they were with Jesus. They weren't overly gifted. They weren't perfect. These guys, and you know what I love about the Bible? The Bible doesn't hide flaws and faults and sins and failures. There's times in the disciples' lives that they just flat don't get it. And the Bible doesn't hide that. The Bible just says, here are these guys. They're not perfect. They're not overly gifted. Sometimes they mess up, but God uses them anyhow. What was the point? How? They were willing to follow. 
That's what made them significant. That's, that, that's what changed the trajectory of their life. God was able to use them because they were willing to follow. And he used them in extraordinary ways. Folks, we're in a church here today because of these ordinary guys that Jesus chose. You don't know how all this works, but to me it seems as if Jesus entrusted the kingdom to ordinary, imperfect humans. And I guess the point is this. He continues to entrust the kingdom to ordinary, imperfect humans and ask us to take this precious gift that he's given us, this precious opportunity, and allow him to lead. And the call for us is the same, to follow. And the question we've been asking throughout this series is, who sits on the throne of your life? Are you willing to follow? Now, now Jesus is using throughout this, and, and it's, it's amazing, he's using kingdom language, which in a lot of ways is foreign to us, but it wouldn't have been foreign to those hearing it. It was the language of Rome. When Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's standing in stark contrast with the kingdom of Rome. And Rome has come in declaring the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. And they've come and they've subdued and they've built roads and they're saying, here you are, Be, you're blessed. It's the good news, it's the gospel of the kingdom of Rome and you have peace and prosperity because of us. And Jesus comes in and says, no, it's about the peace of the kingdom of God. And you can have life because of God and living in his kingdom. And he gives two diverse ways, or there's two diverse ways. that The kingdom of Rome is about force. And it's about power. And it's about subduing the people that, that they came to subdue. And Jesus is inviting us to this kingdom of submission, of allowing God to have his way. This kingdom that's not about the elite, but about the ordinary. Not about the rich, but about the poor. Not about those who think they have everything together, about the sinner that's willing to be broken before God. This is God's kingdom. God's kingdom will be made up of ordinary men and women. And it's a strong language. It's, it's kingdom language. And, and to us as, as Americans, Americans, it's foreign, right? It's hard for us to think of kings and kingdoms. And, and so sometimes this language, so, some suggest different language. 
Some suggest the enterprise of God, and some suggest maybe the network of God, or the the vision of God, or the mission of God, or the the dance of God, or the revolution of God. I kind of like that. It's a revolution against the existing structures and systems. But the truth is, kingdom helps us understand. Sometimes those other descriptors appeal to me, but I come back to kingdom language. Because kingdom helps us understand what Jesus is calling us to. See, God's not simply our friend. He is our friend. And it's not just that God loves us, And it's not that God is some kindly grandpa in the sky (laughs) that's like a vending machine that we put in our prayers and we punch a button and we get what we want. How often do we view God in that way? But he's the holy one. He's the creator God. He, He is the one from life is given And the only place we can find life and meaning. He is the ultimate judge. That that when this life ends, we will stand before God. And God has the right. God has the right to judge how we've lived our lives. So God wants not just to be your friend. He does want to be your friend. He wants wants you to love him and be loved by him. But God wants to sit on the throne of your life. He wants to be king. He wants to be Lord. This is the the reality of this. And, And oftentimes we separate in our life. There is the secular and there is the spiritual. God sees no separation in your life. You know, we don't serve God on Sunday. It's, it's not about Sunday is my time for God and the rest of the time is my time for me and others. No, all of your time, all of your money, all that you have belongs to Him. See, here's the truth. The 10% of our money, the tithe doesn't belong to God. All of our money belongs to God. I'm not going to take an offering right now. Relax. But that's the truth. Every gift, every opportunity is God's. And he wants to sit on the throne of our life. And he wants us to simply like Jesus say, not my will, but your will. Can we all acknowledge that sometimes that's easy and sometimes that's hard? Amen? Sometimes that's not as easy as just, you know, I I can stand up here and preach it and, you know, I believe it. But but the truth is, sometimes I'll go through my week and and there'll be something God's calling me to do and and it'll be hard. Sometimes I'll miss it. God will convict me. And I'll say, God, I'm sorry. I want to move forward in you. I want you to be Lord of my life. 
this is best, but it's not always easiest. Right? I'm reminded of of just this language and, you know, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and, you know, this language they use. And, 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 and oftentimes we begin to think, oh, well, that's that, that place in the future. Particularly when you start using kingdom of heaven, you begin to think of, of um, streets of gold and pearly gates and all those things. And, you know, we think of, the, uh, of, of that place of, of final rest, of eternity. And, and there definitely is an aspect of this of heaven, the, the final eternal heaven. But, but I believe Jesus is calling to some, something more than just the end of our life, but he's calling for something in our life. And, and, and I would say the kingdom of God is this. The kingdom of God is that place of obedience to the will of God. So, so, so we can live in the reality of the kingdom of God in this place that's so confused and sin-filled and chaotic we can live in the kingdom of God in the midst of our realities when we fully submit our will to his. Now, now there's coming a day when, when, when that faith will be made sight and, and all this chaos will be gone and we're thankful for that day. But, but I believe this kingdom of God is not just some future hope, but it's the call of God in our life now. It's, it's why Jesus includes in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you see that? Central in the prayer of Jesus is this ideal that there's this place of perfect submission of God to God. And it's, it, it's called heaven. It's called, you know, the, the paradise, whatever phrase you want to use. And, and there's that place of perfect submission. And it's where the will of God is followed. And that kingdom needs to come here. That, that in our places of work, when we go to school, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, there's this place of submission to God. And His kingdom, His kingdom is as near as your yes to Him. That's how close the kingdom of God is to you. The kingdom of God is as near as your willingness to say yes. Now these followers of Jesus, they turned the power of Rome on its head. They turned the Roman Empire upside down. While Rome was dragging them into arenas and killing them, they turned Rome upside down. They couldn't stomp it out. They couldn't stomp Stop it. They couldn't do anything. It was extraordinary. And when you look at the history of the early church, there, there, there's nothing that can explain it but the power of the Holy Spirit at work in ordinary people. You know, I'm a, I'm a glass half full guy. I am. I'm an optimist. I was thinking of Neil Luganbill. I don't think he's here, but I, but I heard a joke about an engineer uh, you know, there's people that see glasses as half empty and half full. An engineer wonders why the glass is twice as big as it needs to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I'm a half glass full person. I, I am an optimistic person by nature, and, and I believe we serve an optimistic God. I do. I, I, I believe God sees no one as beyond his call. No, no sinner beyond the ability of being saved. No cause as lost. I believe God sees things like that. When, when we see disaster, I believe God looks at that and says, you know, I can work through that in a way that is for their good and my glory. And I see you sitting there, Gene, and I think about April. You know, that, that, that's awful. But God can use even that, can't he? He's at work in that. It's amazing. Our God is amazing. How he works through what seems to be chaos and disaster, and he brings good and glory. See, I've read to the end. <laughs> and God wins. We're on the winning side. So I'm optimistic because I serve this big God. I, I read this quote from Howard Hendricks, not Jimmy Hendricks, Howard Hendricks this week. <laughs> Sometimes they're just for me. <laughs> How big is your God? The size of your God determines the size of everything. <laughs> How big is your God? See, I, I think sometimes we make him little g. <laughs> we, we, we make him smaller than he is. But when you make him big g, big God, he sits on the throne of our life and we experience the kingdom, the peace of the kingdom, the joy of the kingdom, the, the, the love of the kingdom, the happiness of the kingdom, the blessedness of the kingdom. Because we're going to move right into that next week, this ideal of we are blessed because we belong to the kingdom. Next verses. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began teaching them, saying, Blessed. You know, I love that imagery. And the imagery is, is Jesus comes up and he, he takes the posture of a teacher. And the disciples press in. They press in. So the question this morning is this. Are you pressing in? I mean, are, are you pressing in? You know, I, I know how it is. You know, life can distract us. It can take us all down all sorts of rabbit trails. We get caught up on distractions. You know, work can get busy. You know, raising kids can be busy. Being retired can be busy, right? Right? You get so busy that you can forget the central most important thing. And so the question is, are you pressing in? You know, the people of Israel. You know, God was always God in some form to them. You realize that, right? You know, it wasn't that they 
they would completely abandon the ideal of this God that rescued them from Egypt. You know, they, they would remain, they would continue the feast, and they, they, there usually was a, a temple presence, and, and oftentimes, not all the time, but most of the time, there was some sort of sacrificial system. You, you would find where they would stray from that to a certain degree. Most of the time, they had this awareness of God. But other gods began to creep in. So, so, so when, when God would become upset with the people of Israel, it wasn't that they had stopped completely acknowledging him, but they, they began to hedge their bets with other gods. Well, maybe we should worship this God too. Maybe we should include this idol. Maybe we should do some things for this, this little G God. The people of Israel's problem unfortunately becomes our problem. See, see, we oftentimes do a good job on the Sunday morning, but it begins to be forgotten the rest of the week. Are you pressing in? We like to give space for prayer. And uh, we have altars. Uh, you know, there's no, no guilt associated with altars. Nobody thinks anything bad about anybody that, that seeks God at an altar, but they're always available. So all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I want to give you just a couple minutes. Um, it's, it's 925. Man, I am a short-winded preacher. We'll give you a couple minutes, and uh, maybe you want to meet with God at an altar. Maybe you want to take somebody down and pray with them. Maybe there's something else you're going through, but, but our altars are available. And then Pastor Bob's going to come and close us in prayer.